right, everybody. Do me a favor real quick as, as uh, Timothy is exiting and I'm entering. Tons of stuff up here. you got tons of stuff. If you would, do me a favor. Just close your eyes real quick. And I want you to kind of, I want you to take a moment before the Lord. I know it's kind of weird to go straight from worship into announcements back into kind of hearing the Lord. But I want you to take a moment, just be still before the Lord, kind of recenter the idea of kind of moving distractions, just focus on Jesus. As I was in prayer this morning, I felt like I had a word uh, for, for, for us, for you. Uh, and I wanted to, um, before I even dive into the message this morning, I wanted to share specifically what I heard this morning uh, from the Lord. It's taken from Mark 9. Listen, just be still and just listen. And so this little boy's been, uh, he's been casting himself into the fire. The demon who's, who's, uh, who's filled him has been throwing him into the fire. And the father says, as often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. He looks at Jesus and says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can't, all things are possible for one who believes and with your eyes shut. But I felt like the Lord said this morning when they were in prayer, so we have to move from a place of praying as if things could be possible to praying as if things are probable. Moving from possibility to probability. Not praying defeatist prayers that we've been praying for years. Oh God, if you just would. But saying, God, we know your desire is. Whatever those things are in your life, and I believe God is saying this morning as we dive into his word in 1 Corinthians 10 here in a moment, that, that the word he has for this morning for someone or for all of us is simple. You've been focusing on if I can, but the idea is probability that I desire to move and begin to exercise faith, begin to see me, begin to move into that thing. And so with that, there you go. And uh, let's dive in this morning to 1 Corinthians 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This past uh, past Sunday, we uh, looked at uh, and and dove into this idea of Paul looking at the people in Corinthians, people he loves well, and and saying he says this, "Hey guys, if you're going to run, you got, you know, if you're going to live your Christian life." then you just treat it as if it's this race that you have towards me. I am the prize, and I want you to run as if you're trying to win. Now, the idea is, the beauty is we all get to win, right? We all get to reach the prize. We all get to attain eternal life. For those who have given our lives to Jesus, we all get to, to connect with him. And it's not just, I'm going to live a really hard life and be miserable and hope someday to get to, to Jesus. It's no, I'm going to live every day as if that day Jesus, listen, as if every day Jesus and the fullness of Jesus is attainable in that moment for everything going on in my life so that I can say I started living eternally the moment I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't enter into eternity 30 years from now. I entered into eternity today. I know him. I walk with him and I enjoy him and he blesses and moves in every area of my life. And Paul says, guys, women, men, I want you to understand, run today with self-control, with perseverance, as if you're trying to win the prize. Don't these are the, the the metaphor of boxing. Don't box the air and not hit anything. That just looks stupid. He said, "I'm just kidding." He didn't say that, but he meant that, right? It just looks silly doing like this and boxing in the air. It looks goofy, doesn't it? Right? And it's like he says, "No, box and land your punch. Right? Live as if I'm attainable today. We all together will attain to Jesus and know Him today." And the fullness of his spirit and the life that he brings and the fullness of hope and love and joy that he brings. 
So he says, so live your life as if today, every day, you can attain to the prize of Jesus. And that's beautiful. And so we said last week that the, ex- the, the athletes have to exercise self-control. And that Jesus then empowers us in the self-control to choose him, to walk with him, and to live every day. And so I know every single person here who was here last week, you ran for the prize, right? No one failed this week, right? No, you know what I'm getting at, this idea that God's calling us. And so the idea is to say, well, I didn't do well this week. Well, then do well this week, right? That's the nature of it. So this morning I kind of dive into this picture because I, I love what Paul does. He comes in, he goes straight from that and says, that. now let me be honest with you. And he comes in in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, and you can just read uh, along with me, whether in your Bible or on the screen. It says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the clouds. So just real quick, he's talking about the Israelites. Remember, remember Charlton Heston? Remember Moses, right? And he's leading them from captivity. Just think Charlton Heston. God equals Moses equals Charlton Heston, okay? This is what he's talking about. But I want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Remember this massive, beautiful things at nine. I said, all passed through the sea and all, that was this part in the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, with, mo- with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us. We might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of, the, some of them were, as it is written. People sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So in this moment, we read through this, and I just wonder, when we read through 1 Corinthians 10, I wonder where our mind goes. Like, I wonder what part we automatically connect with. I wonder what language that we hear here in in this scripture that we are automatically drawn to. Like, I wonder... In this moment, we see Paul coming in verses 1 through 5, right? He's naming their predecessors. He's naming the Israelites because they know their story. Like they told their story. They would sit at home because they were storytelling people. And by the fireplace or by the fire, they would just tell the story. Say, what story do you want to tell tonight? Tell us the story of the Israelites and the Exodus. And so they would all sit down. They would all hear the story. They'd heard the story. They could all tell the story. And they knew of of them going in, and, and, and they knew of their disobedience. Don't you remember Charlton Heston? Remember that moment he comes down and sees them building this calf, and he gets really angry, and he 
throws the stone tablets and there's like a massive explosion and all these people die and remember Charlton and so you have this moment so we so we read the story and we just see Paul's language of talking about their about their sin and talking about all of these pieces right he names these things he names their privileges they had as God's children so they're baptized into Moses which basically means that that he was their redeemer he was their Christ figure he was their Messiah all that really means is he went into Egypt and he got them out so they're baptized into him right they kind of came under his ownership and he led them out from slavery to freedom he gave them they had spiritual food and drink supernatural supply Jesus was with them but man they are classified and known here by their disobedience and their sin he's saying don't forget about them and then he comes in and Paul then shifts gears in verse 6 6 through 10 And he directly addresses the issue facing them. Like he names their sin. He comes in and and, and names their sin. And the point you recognize is he's basically doing a comparison. He's basically saying, hey, listen, the sin that you're committing is equivalent to the sin they committed. Like, have you ever done that before? Like with your kids, they don't understand the gravity of what they've done. And you say, you remember that time Hitler killed people? That's kind of like your sin right here. No, you know what I'm getting at, right? Like you come in and you do some level of comparison. You say, well, you remember this? And like, yeah, like, well, this is what you've done. Like, oh, right? And so Paul's doing this. You've been telling this story for thousands, literally. We've been telling this to people for thousands of years. And the things that you were doing are equivalent to this. And like, but they all died. He's like, I know. Right? It's that big a deal. So Paul's coming in and names it. Idolatry. Like, idolatry. Now, in, in his day and age, it was specifically, we think of Charlton Heston, we think of the big golden calf. I don't think any of you built a golden calf this week, right? So good job. But, but there are other things that we allow to take priority and preeminence in our life, aren't there? Like, there are things that we look to. This is important. What do you primarily go to to find satisfaction in life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? If it's something else primarily, then there's an idol in your heart and in your life. And that's what Paul's naming. So he names idolatry. It's a pretty big deal. Number two, he names sexual immorality. Like I'm not going to get on the list because there are children in here. But you, you, you know what those things are, right? Like you, you know we all know. Do I need to name them? Like, do you know what they are? Right? Like, you, you, you know what sexual morality is. You know how we make this priority in our life sometimes and we shouldn't. We, we allow it. We allow sin to take over in that area. Number three, he says, test Christ. He says that. He says, you test Christ. To test Christ is to challenge God through our rebellion. Like a child making a stand against a parent. Like, do you remember that moment when your parent, mom or dad said to do something when you were probably about 16 and for the first time you thought, I'm not going to do that. And so you kind of like stood up to them, right? 
Like I happened to never forget a buddy of mine. He was an all all he was an all county um, defensive back. He ended up going to Auburn and playing football. He says he'll never forget the moment I challenged my dad. He goes, I was the biggest I'd ever been. I was six foot, just about 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 five eleven, six foot. He said I was time weighed about two hundred pounds. I was working out every day. He said I thought I was it. Like I thought I was the stuff, right? And my dad was over a weight, definitely older than me. And he said, and this was the moment. So my dad said something, and I just said, no. And then. He just looked at me, and I just went off on him. He said, and the next thing I know, my dad has me pinned against the wall by one hand, right? And he goes, he had man strength. I didn't know it, right? I was scared to death. I mean, I go, what your dad do this? He, goes, he, he looked at me and goes, and just dropped me and ran off, right? We never talked about it, and I've always obeyed him since, right? But it's that moment. It's that moment, the testing, right? We get that. And then in the testing, there's grumbling. Like, you remember Charlton Heston? Remember all those people back there going, where is he leading us? I don't know. Surely we're going to die. Oh, I hate that Moses guy and God, right? And there's this challenge in the moment. And so Paul, Paul's being challenged, right? He's being tested. They're, they're rebelling in the moment. They're rebelling against the superior. They were grumbling against Paul. That's what you read. All of these things you read, they're grumbling. And the point I want you to see in this, and they're grumbling against Paul. Here's the point. In their grumbling against Paul, kind of pushing back against him, Paul was the one sent by God, which meant in turn they're grumbling against God. Do you see how that works, Right? That's why children pay attention very closely. If you are living at home, living under your parents' roof, in their insurance, and they're buying all of your food still, God has, been, God has placed your parents in your life. Do not grumble. They are, they are in your life for a reason. And God has placed them there. You need to be careful how you speak against them, how you slander them, how you throw them under the bus, how you talk negatively about them. This was massive sin right here. But adults, we need to be careful, too, of what we grumble about and how we handle our superiors, people that we work for, people who are a part of our life, and how we slander and what we speak and how we say things about people. And so we see these things when reading these scriptures, Paul's attack on sin, it seems to leap off the page, doesn't it? It's like in chapter 10, we see he names these things, and and all of us in some form or fashion we should be able to identify with either one of these or maybe even all four of these. And so in that moment, what I see in chapter 10 is I read through the first one right there. Like, I was like, oh, great, a chapter on sin. This is going to be awesome to preach because that's fun, right? It's like, it's, you know, I'm getting it. It's like there's this, there's this focus on sin and this nature of sin and the, and the power of sin. But as I stopped reading, I just said, okay, Lord, what are you speaking? And I felt like God spoke and I says, says, do you? Don't miss the actual message in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. That's the actual message. I should probably go back and read it because I see it's all about the, the sin and your hatred of sin, just pleasure with sin and the brokenness of sin and the sin in their lives and the sin of our lives and all this kind of stuff. And, I, and in the moment, I felt like I was misunderstanding God. Can you all attest that there is nothing worse than being misunderstood? Like if you ever had someone, a conversation with someone and, and you think that you've clearly stated something, and then they walk away, 
and you know they haven't heard a single word that you said, like that moment when you say to your child, your room needs to be clean, I need you to go upstairs through there right now, and they're like, okay, and they get up and they walk outside and start riding their bike, I mean, what's the deal with that, right? Completely misunderstood. There's nothing, there's nothing dirty out there, I don't know, whatever, right? And I know none of you have ever had a misunderstanding with your spouse, ever. Like, like, there have never been moments in your life, maybe like I've had with my wife, we're in a conversation, and I'll say something along the lines like, babe, I love you, right? That's a, that's a term of affection here, babe, right? Because hey, she is a babe, and like, babe, I love you, and man, you're amazing, and I think that you're awesome. Like, no matter what you look like, no matter what you wear, no matter what happens, I would choose you all over again. And she says, you think I'm fat? You, you don't like my outfit? I'm like, duh, did you not, what happened, how did we get, what, right? But there's nothing worse than, than, than misunderstanding, and there's nothing worse than being misunderstood. And so in this moment, I, I, I read 1 Corinthians 10, and I, and I felt like what God was saying is that there's this possibility that if we see it only as God's displeasure and Paul rebuking sin, then we're, then we're really kind of misunderstanding and missing the point. Because my assertion is simple this morning. I believe that Paul is definitely naming sin and the power of sin and the, and the danger of sin. He names all these things in here. But I think in this, this is my assertion, that this is primarily a message of Paul's love for the Corinthians and God's love for his people expressed in his faithfulness. And in the moment, here's what I realized about my own life and about a lot of your lives. That so many of us, when we think about Jesus, we think about our relationship with him. If we're completely honest, we do this. We say, oh, I better not sin and I need to be obedient. And so what we then have is a relationship every day where I'm trying to manage my sin, conquer my sin, control my sin. And so I spend all of my day focusing on my sin and hoping I don't fall into it because my relationship needs to be based on obedience and God will be pleased if I disobey him. And so I go and read chapters like 1 Corinthians 10, and I immediately go, oh, sin. Oh, I feel the weight of it. Yes, Paul's talking directly to me. That's how I feel like my life. And then we live our lives focusing on the sin and not sinning and the management of sin and living all day. I think I need to repent again and ask forgiveness again. And that's why when I was a kid, I got saved literally in my church 100 times from the age of 9 to 12. Because every week we laugh because it's true. Every week someone would tell me, you're a sinner. And I'm like, okay, what did I do? I'm sure I did something. And so I lay in bed at night and say, oh, God, oh, forgive me. I'm such a terrible sinner. I can't, I really don't know exactly what I did, but I'm sure there's something that just crucified you again today. Oh, God, show me my sin. Why? Because... We grew up in church being more comfortable with our sin and God conquering it than God's love and his forgiveness. Everybody do this. Everyone do it right now. Put your hands just like this. Make it high. You look weird if you're not doing it, so you need to do it, okay? Everyone look around. Make sure they're doing it. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. All right. Now we're going to hold this for a little bit. I want you to feel the burn of this. 
Okay, right arm up. So you get this dynamic, right? So in our lives, then, we live so often. When we read Scripture, when we spend time with the Lord, when we're around other Christians, when we live our lives and our own thought process, and we're defining our life by our sin or by sins committed against us. Right? Someone commits a sin against us, and that's all we can focus on. So everything we do, everything that happens, and the lens through which we read Scripture is in dealing with our own personal sin, or someone who sinned against me, and the pain and the suffering that I've endured. And so we're all focused right here. And then down here somewhere, out of you, much less than, is the faithfulness and the love and the compassion of Jesus, who is for us and not against us, who is with us and not separated from us. Right? And so we get like, Yes, my sin. Yeah, I know that God loves me. But my sin is so profound. But yeah, I know God's for me and saving me. But yes, my sin is so bad. And we live in this place. It's beginning to burn yet because this is what it feels like in our life. Focused on sin every day and it begins to burn. It begins to feel bad. And we have no life and we're just held in condemnation. And we're living here. You can put your hands down. And I'm sitting here reading this going... What's the real message then of 1 Corinthians 10? Like, what is he actually trying to say? Because he's definitely not saying, sin's great, go ahead and do it, man, it's not a big deal. No, sin's a huge deal. But is there something that is a bigger deal? Is it in my life I should try to live as sin management, defining every moment of my life and trying to manage the sin of others? And control them, make them feel bad, whatever it may be, or do I focus on the love of Jesus? And all of a sudden, I realize God is speaking in 1 Corinthians 10 saying, my people need to do this. My people need to have a shift. Because the idea is this. What you could say is God wants us to stop focusing on sin much and God little because God is love and begin thinking about God much and sin little. To have our lives not be a focus of sin management, but of love from and for Jesus. Because I live long too, I mean, I live way too long trying to just focus every day on not sinning and being obedient to my dad. Rather than focusing on his love for me and his acceptance of me and being aware of my sin. Let's go back and look at these verses and, and, and re-look and kind of reread these, okay? So in verses 1 through 5, what we see right here is this. In chapter, it says, um, it says in verse 1, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What I want you to recognize is this. God raised up Moses to go to his people because he loved them. He sent Moses in. He sent Charlton, I mean, Charlton in, right? And set his people free because he hated them and wanted to be miserable in the desert, right? No, because he loved them. The message of the Exodus is a profound message of God's love and salvation. They passed through the sea. He took the sea and goes, watch what I alone can do. Like... That's awesome. Let's go. Right? As they begin to run through the sea. They got hungry and they got thirsty. So he sent them there to starve and to be thirsty because he hated them. 
No, every day he said, here's my manna. Here is me. I'm giving myself to you to feed you. And then I'm going to give you this rock. We know it to be Jesus, and it's full of water, right? Do you see the analogy here? He is living water. That is the source of living water, the rock in the desert. Jesus. And he didn't leave them. No, he was with them the entire time is what Paul's saying. And so I'll go back and I'll read verses 1 through 5 and go, oh, the message he wants them to understand as they're running after, running after the prize is the real message is that he was with them. He was for them. He was providing for them. He loved them in the moment. Like that's the primary message. And then they sinned. And so he comes in in verse seven through uh, seven through, excuse me, six through ten, six through thirteen, really. And Paul names the sins, yes, that are tempting the the Corinthians in the moment. He's naming these sins. All of us can identify with them. But in verse eleven, it says this. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. How many of you had parents who would sit down and be honest with you and warn you to not say, take certain steps in life because of where it may end up? I mean, raise your hands. If you had parents who loved you, have to be honest with you and give warnings and instructions in your life of how to live your life. Paul names these examples or warnings, writing down instructions, because like a good father... Like a good parent who loves his child, he does not want them to be destroyed by taking steps into brokenness, into sin, so he gives them warnings. Why? Because he loves them. See, the message about sin, not to tell you you're terrible, but to tell you he loves you and he's warning you. About steps that lead to destruction. Verse 12, it says this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he or she stands take heed lest he or she fall. Be careful. He's basically saying, be careful. Because you can fall just like these have fallen. I'm giving this as an example for you so that you won't take the same steps because you know their fate and I don't want you to die. Paul is not, listen, Paul is not angry and God is not angry. They are simply sober and they realize listeners, their readers, their children must be careful and vigilant against losing sight of the prize. Why? Because sin's desire is to creep in, to steal, to kill and destroy them and to keep them from their race. They're not angry about it. God's not angry. They're sober. Why? Because Jesus said, I have been tempted in every way that you have been tempted, and I understand how hard it is. This isn't a message of sin, and you're a sinner, and you're terrible, and God's displeased, and he hates you. It's saying, I love you. I have to warn you. I want to be honest with you because I see you being taken away from the prize. I see you beating the air. That's not what you were created for. It's not my design for you. I want to set you free. Why? Because he loved them. Verse 13 says, no temptation has ever taken you that is not common with man. God is faithful. And I read this. I was sitting there in my chair, and I read Verse 13, no temptation is ever taken. It is not common with man. God is faithful. And I went, 
That's it. This actually is the central theme of God's message through Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful. God is faithful. Most of you know faithfulness is a defining characteristic of love. Faith is the defining characteristic of God's love. In relationship, faithfulness produces peace and confidence between two people. I know they won't cheat. I know they won't leave. I know they're with me through, through hell, through thick and thin. They are with me. Faithfulness produces confidence. It produces peace in us. Faithfulness allows us to walk in freedom, not having to worry that God's going to leave, that God will not be invested or involved in my life. His love is present always, no matter what's going on, even in our sin, even in our obedience, because He is faithful. He won't, nor can He leave us. He is present at all times, loving me no matter where I am. And so in this, I read 1 Corinthians 10 and go, God, the power of God, the love of God, the movement of God, the mercy of God, the breakthrough of God, and my sin. I'll just tell you something. It is much more powerful and life-giving to view your sin through the lens of Jesus' love for you. Right? I looked through the love of Jesus his passion for me, his cross, his movement. And in the moment I recognize God, then I see my sin. It doesn't have power because when I look to the love of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. I recognize the cross is more powerful. The love of Jesus is more overwhelming. Jesus is more powerful. Jesus is present. He will move. He can move. He is moving. How does this faithfulness express itself? We see it in, 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 in verse 13 first. God pledged himself not to let you be tested beyond what you can bear. God has pledged himself not to let you be tested beyond what you can bear. Basically, he's saying in the midst of sin coming against you, because he is with us, no sin is too strong for you to overwhelm you. You see, I believe people who primarily fall into sin is because they make sin and they focus on sin so much it becomes this right here. And like, oh my gosh, my sin is so big. Oh, I can't get out from underneath it. It is so big. I wish God were over here because he's so small. But I wish God had my sin. I was going to go, look how big God is. Oh my gosh, God is huge. He is so loving. He hates sin. He wants to destroy it. He wants to empower me to do it. Oh, look at that second thing. And when I'm tempted, he'll provide a way of escape. Thank you, God, that you provided a way for escape because you were good. You were faithful. You were kind. You were loving. You hate sin. You will destroy it. You've already destroyed it. The lens of Jesus. My thoughts are this for us. What defines the experience of your spiritual life? What defines the experience of your reading of Scripture best? Do you focus more on the wrath of God, the anger of God, your own personal sin, you need to get over sin, the, the frustration because of sin? Or do you focus more on the love of God, His faithfulness in the moment, and His warnings that He gives us to not fall into what others have fallen into? Francis Chan, in his book, Crazy Love, 
made his own observation about his own life. He said, if I could pick one word to describe my feelings about God in the first years of being a Christian, it would be fear. Basically, any verses that describe his overwhelming greatness or his wrath were easy for me to relate to because I feared my own father. Like you in our lives, right? We have this, our own experience, right? I said from my own life, I, I live in this own place because I, I had this, this mentality of obedience, my own life, my, this mentality of obedience trumps everything. My own relationship with my dad, I've got to be obedient. And I'm, and I live like this. So every day I would live with this thing of like, I probably didn't measure up again today. I probably wasn't obedient enough. And I had this, this, this obedience thing, and, I, and, I, and I, I recognize, right? Do I parent for obedience or do I parent for relationship? That's the nature of this. Do I parent for obedience or do I parent for relationship? God parents for relationship. That's what Paul's doing. He says, I want to warn you because I love you. Sin is a huge deal, but God is a bigger deal. And the lens of his being a bigger deal must define us. We must live. And the question you have to ask yourself in this, do you live more with a sin awareness? Your own sin or the sin of others committed against you? So you live frustrated people every day because they haven't measured up to what you want them to do for you? Or do you live with a God awareness defining you and that you're loved and that he is for you and that he is with you and that he is leading you and that he is Lord over your life. Therefore, you view everything else through it. Second thing, God does not want you to misunderstand him. Like when Randall misunderstands or I misunderstand her, she gets frustrated because she wants me. I get frustrated, not because I'm frustrated with her, because or she's frustrated with me. Because it's like, oh, no, no, I just want you to understand. There's nothing more frustrating than being misunderstood. And God is being misunderstood. He does, listen, it's important. He does hate sin. But he focuses more on loving you and his faithfulness than your sin. God's favorite topic in your life is not your sin. That's not the first thing he wants to... To, to talk about in the morning, the last thing he wants to talk about when you go to bed. He wants you to know that he loves you. Listen, parents, did the, at the end of your child's day, if you're turning out the lights and you're walking, and you, do you go, oh, by the way, be obedient tomorrow and then walk out? Or may I sure hope you're more obedient tomorrow? Like, and me too, Dad. Uh. No, Lena Catherine. Sarah, they lay in bed, we walk in, and we spend our time at the end of our day. You know you're awesome, don't you? I just love you. Stop it, Dad. But you know I do. Stop it. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Dad. We have this conversation. You know what we don't do? We don't spend the moment going, all right, let's categorize all your sins today before you go to bed and make sure you apologize. How did you offend me today? Tell me. Come on. You're not going to sleep unless you do. Go ahead and tell me. Let's write them all down. Now, I promise to cross them out when we get done. I may still see them tomorrow so you don't commit them, right? But what did you do? Okay. I've never done that. I have to tell him. He says, Dad, I'm so sorry. I know you are, baby. 
I know you are. And tomorrow, you're going to choose to you're going to choose life. You're going to choose to walk in a way that you know you should because you were forgiven and I love you. Now let's talk about how much I love you. I love you. You're best. You see, this is this nature of relationship. Paul speaks about both sin and faithfulness here. But we have to make sure that we focus on the one thing that most defines God. God is love. I don't mean some sort of cheap, like cheesy love. I mean like authentic, cares about us, warns us, examines us, challenges us, changes directions, causes us to repent and turn from death to life. He moves in the fullness. He tells us how much he loves us. He speaks life over us. He says, well done, you are awesome. He lives in this place. And so what he's saying is we live here. And God's saying, God awareness. Read through chapter 10 and go, this is a story of his love for me. This is a story of his challenge for me. This is a story not about their sin and my sin, but about his love and his warning because he loves us. Because we should not take that step. This is a story of his love. We must be aware of both, but one is more important. One should define primarily our relationship with God. One should be the lens that defines everything that we view. And the word for us in this is that this isn't just a possibility, it is a probability. Oh God, this could just be true about me. Oh, God, my sin is just so great. Oh, God, this person just hurt me so much. Now I get through. God, my life is so miserable. God, my job is so bad. Oh, if you can. You all, listen, we all pray you can prayers all day long, not really believing he's about to move. And he wants us to change to God. You love me. You love your church. You love your people. You desire to move with everything inside of you. God, you desire breakthrough. You've already crushed Satan and sin under your feet in the cross. And I worship you today, God, that I don't have to be defined and bound by sin. It is hard. You understand it. Paul understood it, but I don't have to. There's a way out. I don't have to be crushed under under the, the pain that someone's brought me by ridiculing me or slandering me or speaking bad about me. God, there is breakthrough because I see your love for me. You've never left me. You've never forsaken. You've never turned away. And so, God, there is always hope. There is always salvation. There is always freedom. There is always redemption. God, there is always Charlton Heston in my life to set me free in my own exodus from whatever I'm in. What are you most conscious of? God or sin? This morning, God wants to shift your vision in the way we talked about this morning. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you for this morning. I praise you for your great love for us. I praise you, God, that You have provided a way for victory over sin. Father, I praise you this morning 
for life that's found in Jesus. I praise you today, God. Yes, that you hate sin and you've given us examples and you've warned us like you have here. And God, you, you, you don't like sin and you don't just look over sin. You don't just pretend like it doesn't exist. You don't just gloss over it. God. You, you deal with it directly. But I praise you that in that's because you love us. And God, you know this, this nature that, God, we continually fall back into sin, fall back into sin, fall back into sin. And I praise you that each time you are faithful, you are loving, you are kind, God, to bring us out from that and, God, and to bring victory. God, so that even in the midst of God, even when we're struggling, that we can still say, but I am loved by God and he is forming it against me. And, God, we need to set our eyes on the prize and run after you with perseverance, with self-control, defining us, Lord, being honest and open about our issues, God, and then turning to you and not seeing them as a possibility of maybe God as a probability God of what you can do in us so this morning I pray Jesus that you would meet us and speak to us with your eyes closed this morning I just want to invite you to respond for some of you this morning there is a sin consciousness that defines everything you think about in your spiritual life. You've grown up with it. It's what you've known. It's been perpetuated just through years and years and years of thought and teaching, whatever it may be. So the first thing what you do is say, do I think more about my sin or do I live more aware of God's love and power in my life? When I read scripture, do I see it more as a book about things I need to obey are ways that I can just fall in love with Jesus and be loved by him and express my love through obedience, not obey to make him happy. This morning I invite you just where you are to have an honest conversation before the Lord. Some of you this morning have just been bound up and you don't even realize that you need to be set free and God wants to do that this morning. We have ministry teams that will be available to pray with anyone this morning who just needs prayer. Some of you, you, there's this thing we've talked about, I was talking to Ed Forty this week about it. We talked about this, this nature that money has in our life. And we had this reality that God says, hey, bring your tithe. Bring your tithe and your offering to me. And the idea in the offering and tithe is simply this. So that money, which can very easily become an idol in our life, that in bringing it sacrificially out of love for Jesus, we're declaring money has no control in my life. It ultimately belongs to you. And so I faithfully give it to you as an expression of my love for you. We have that available today. These baskets in the front are for you to give as the Lord would lead you. And in worship, you can come forward. There's a box between the two doors on the way out and there's a slit on top and you can give there as long as it's an act of worship before the Lord. We have communion available this morning. This is the expression of God's love, His faithfulness. As you take communion this morning, then with probability expecting as God can, we come saying, God, then yes, awaken me today to what is already true, that you love me and my sin is not stronger than you. You are huge, and the sins committed against me are not too big to overwhelm me. And let's allow God to do this work. This morning, before I step off the stage, I want to ask anyone this morning who would say, Yes, Steve, I, I need to take my hands and just shift 
to a God consciousness. I see it in my life, and I'm very aware of it this morning. I invite you to raise your hand before the Lord. I'm not looking. No one else is looking. I'm just going to gonna raise my hand with you, and I'm going to pray for you this morning. Just raise it up. Just leave it up before the Lord. This is you and Jesus. Father, I pray this morning for each person with their hand raised. I pray for those who don't have the strength to raise their hand in the moment. God, I pray for breakthrough this morning, Jesus, because this is your desire. Father God, just prophetically speak that breakthrough in Jesus' name. This is your desire, God. I lean into what your will is, and we declare it, Father God, in Jesus' name. Breakthrough, freedom, healing, and restoration in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, that supernaturally, even now, you're beginning to stir and to move and to awaken in Jesus' name, God. You're taking people who have, who have lived this way for so long, and you're shifting vision, bringing breakthrough. And so, Holy Spirit, we say yes and amen. Come and breathe into them, God. Breathe into these dry bones in Jesus' name. Breathe the light. Bring wholeness, God. In Jesus' name. This morning, I would ask that you would respond to the Lord leads. Please do not leave this morning content with a sin consciousness and then God somewhere. God has something powerful He's going to do in you. And we simply need to let Him move. He responds, the Lord leads. So Tate's going to play a song that's a worship for us this morning. After that song, He's going to pray, and then you're officially re- you're going to be officially released at that time. As you go today, when the time is right, don't forget to sign up for the things we have sign-ups for. And that'd be great. You guys have a great week. We love you. Thank you.